Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, listeners. This episode of Luke's English Podcast is brought to you by audible.com. Uh, just check out audibletrial.com forward slash teacher Luke or click one of the buttons on my website that says Audible and you can get a free audiobook. Okay, now let's get started with this episode and here we go. You're listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to this episode of Luke's Film Club. Um, and in this one, we're looking at Back to the Future. Why are we talking about Back to the Future? Well, uh, firstly, it's just a great film and loads of us really enjoy it. And secondly, today is... Um, the 21st of October 2015 and that's the date when Marty McFly travels to uh, in in the original no in the sequel Back to the Future 2 he go he travels to this day Wednesday the 21st of October 2015 that's the day I'm recording this and so I thought it would be an appropriate day to talk about all things Back to the Future and in the first part I pretty much spent about an hour talking to talking to you about the plot of Back to the Future 1, 2 and 3. And that's quite a complicated story. If you're not familiar with the story, then that may have just confused you and baffled you. Um, but uh, that's not the intention, of course. The intention is just to sort of celebrate it and also just to verbalise, put into words the narrative that you're probably already aware of after having seen the films. Um, so if you want to just get the background to the story again, then uh, go back and listen to uh, the previous episode of this podcast. But what we're going to do in this one is um, look at some of the themes of the film, talk about some lessons that uh, we can learn from the story of Back to the Future. Uh, we'll also talk about a few little facts and things that you might not know about the the, the way the film was made and things like that. Uh, and then we'll uh, go into those future predictions that they made in Back to the Future 2. Um, if we look outside the window at uh, the the world as it is in 2015. Is it the same? Of course, it's not the same as the one they predicted. But surprisingly, they did predict quite a lot of things that we have now. Um, and I'll talk about time travel, focusing on the DeLorean itself and how it works, and then some theories relating to time travel itself. How is it possible? Um, and um, um, what are the what are the sort of uh, complex uh aspects to that subject okay right then so let's uh, carry on with this back to the future thing so um what are some of the themes of the film or morals of the story well i mentioned in the first episode partly that's about just wondering what it would be like to go back and meet your parents when they were the same age as you apparently the uh, the writer producer of the film bob gale 
had the idea for this film after he found his father's yearbook in the basement. Um, a yearbook is is um, a book of photographs uh, that is uh, given to every student when they leave high school, when they graduate from high school, you get the yearbook. So apparently Bob Gale was looking at his father's yearbook in the basement, looking at pictures of his father and other you know people of their generation. And uh, he, he apparently thought that his father was a bit of a nerd. And he wondered if they would have been friends if they'd been at school together. So I wonder, have you ever done that? Have you ever wondered what it would be like to meet your parents when they uh, were the same age as you are now? What would that be like? That's one of the things that the film is exploring. Also, it, talk, it, it deals with the complexities of time travel and some of the questions raised by it, including the dangers of meddling with the past or messing with the future and how certain events in your life can alter your future. Um, and also, it kind of looks at the idea of... Um, well, just the idea that you are in charge of your own destiny and future. That's one of the key things that you, you can learn from Back to the Future, really, is that, um, okay, we don't have time machines. We can't really go back and change things in the past or go into the future and look at the way things are there. But what we can do is try to build our own future. In fact, the future is in our hands. And, um, you know, we can we can... Um, you know, we can write our own future. And so we should try to do our best to make sure that it will be a good one. Um, also, uh, another lesson you can learn is don't go losing your judgment every time someone calls you a name. Or you can't go losing your judgment every time someone calls you a name. That's what Doc Brown says to Marty. Because remember, Marty uh, loses control whenever anyone calls him a coward or calls him a chicken. Um and so he has to learn that you can't just go losing your judgment every time someone calls you a name. And it's a good lesson to learn. You, you know, uh, what do they say? Um, uh, Sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never hurt me. You have to have thick skin in life in order to get ahead. Also, the future, is, the future isn't written. It can be changed. Anyone can make their future whatever they want it to be. Um, also, no one should know too much about their own destiny. If you know about, for example, things that happen in the future, it can it can sort of make you go crazy. Um, and just if you put your mind to it, you can accomplish anything. Um, all right. So also we, we see the way in which history repeats itself. Uh, there are numerous examples throughout the three films of history uh, doing the same thing again and again, all the way through the whole series. For example, Biff is the bully across three three time periods. In all three periods, in all is it three or four? All four periods of time, he's outsmarted by Marty in various similar ways. And in all three, in all four, I, th I think it's all four versions, he ends up falling into a pile of horse manure. That's just a couple of examples, but you can see that time are time and time again there are other repetitions of, of various little details and things that happen uh, throughout uh, every time period in in the movie sequence. Um, what about information or anecdotes about the, how the film was made? Well, let's talk about the DeLorean for a second. Uh, apparently, the DeLorean was chosen as the time time traveling car uh, because the filmmakers felt that it's wing doors meant that it could be could, it could conceivably be confused for a ufo um so they thought it looked a bit like a ufo which helped for the 50s uh, parts where people looked at it like farmers a couple of farmers see the car and they think it's a ufo so that kind of helped it fit into the narrative
Another little fact is that, uh, did you notice that Jennifer, the actress who plays Jennifer, is different in the uh, first, second and third films? Uh, The original Jennifer, played by Claudia Wells, only plays Marty's girlfriend in the first film and not the sequels. Why? Well, apparently, um, between the first film and the second film, uh, Claudia Wells' mother became ill. And so um, she chose to spend her time with her instead of filming the second one. That's sweet, isn't it? She decided that she would rather be with her sick mum than make a Hollywood film. And so the actress Elizabeth Shue took over the role for the second and third movies. I think um, Elizabeth Shue is actually a better actor than the original Jennifer, so it's kind of a lucky bit of casting. Uh, the, the role of Jennifer is an interesting one because, to an extent, Jennifer gets sidelined in most of the films. I mean, she has a bit of stuff to do in the second one, but in the first one, she just she's there at the beginning and then she disappears. We see her at the start, but then for most of the action stuff, she's not involved. And then at the end, you see her again. And then in the second film, she basically is kind of put to... She's just asleep for a lot of the action sequences. So... You know, I guess some women might feel that it's a bit unfair that the, this what could be a really interesting female character in the sequence in the in the stories is sort of sidelined a little bit. But anyway, she's she's played pretty well by um, uh, Elizabeth Shue. Um, the director Robert Zemeckis joked in a behind-the-scenes featurette that the hoverboards used on set were real. So he actually made like a little uh, making of documentary about. Back to the Future 2 and in that documentary he he actually said that the hoverboards were real and in fact a large number of parents apparently uh, believed him and tried to order hover shops uh, hover shops? They tried to order hoverboards in the shops and uh, I remember there were when I was a kid there were rumours going around that the hoverboard was real. It's usually sort of um, other kids would would make up lies and gullible kids would believe it and, you know, I heard other kids going, yeah, yeah, hoverboards are real. Yeah, my mate's cousin's uncle uh, is an in, is a, uh, an inventor. And apparently they've they've already invented them. Yeah, you can buy them in America. Like, yeah, right, shut up. Um, so, um, um, yeah, by the time that he shot um, parts two and three of the um, the film series, Michael J. Fox was 28 years old. But he was still playing a 17-year-old. Um, but he kind of gets away with it, doesn't he, Michael J. Fox? Because he is um, he's kind of short and he looks young. He did at the time, anyway. Crispin Glover, the actor who played Marty's dad, George, also doesn't appear in episode two or three because he chose not to appear in the sequels. And that's because he disagreed with the messages in the film. Apparently, he didn't agree with the film's values. Um, he didn't like the fact that the McFly family at the end of Back to the Future 1 were happier because they were more prosperous financially. And he felt the idea that money equals happiness was uh, was nonsense. So he sort of disagreed with the, the values of the, of the franchise. It's arguable. Do you think that... Uh that Back to the Future is saying that money is happiness. Maybe they're rich because they're happy, you know? Like, they, they, they're coming from a, a place of uh, comfort and happiness within themselves and love, and as a result of that, they've become rich. And so maybe it's the, you know, the other way around. Maybe if you're not happy on the inside, then life, it, you, you won't get the success uh, 
you know the peripheral success like money and things in your life unless you start with the with the sort of uh, success in your heart yeah um what about their vision of 2015 so this is where we're going to look at uh the predictions that they made uh did they get them right so here we are on October the 21st, 2015, how is the world outside similar or different to the version from Back to the Future 2? Okay, so I'm just having a look out the window. Well, I don't see any flying cars, that's for sure. Um, now, some things were wrong, like mainly the fashion and the flying cars, but they did get a lot of things right, actually. So let's have a look at those things. Here are some things they got right. Well, first of all, 3D movies. Of course, we have 3D films now. You can sit in the cinema. You have to put those glasses on, but you do get the 3D effect. Um, we don't have Jaws 19. I think it went Jaws 1, Jaws 2, Jaws 3, and Jaws 4. Was there a Jaws 5? I think it stopped at Jaws 4, so we didn't have Jaws 19. So, but we do have 3D movies, but technically we don't have holographic TVs or holo holographic movies in cinemas because what Marty sees is basically a hologram, isn't it? Because he's not wearing 3D glasses when he sees the big 3D shark. So it's essentially a hologram. So we don't, I think we don't have holographic movies or cinemas yet. Um, not not in the mainstream anyway, but we do have 3D films. Um, another thing is tablet computers like iPads. Um there is a guy in Hill Valley in 2015 carrying what looks like a tablet computer. It's like a sort of wireless touchscreen uh, with no keyboard. So that's basically a tablet computer. And yes, we've got those now, of course, wireless tablet computers. Um, another thing is drones. There are some drones in uh, Back to the Future 2. For example, when Griff gets arrested, we see that there is a, a like a, a drone carrying a camera. It's a USA Today camera drone uh, that arrives to film the event. Now, uh, drones, of course, exist, and you can get toy drones and things like that. And in fact, some media companies are already using drones in order to collect video footage. So there's a there's something that's, that's happening. Um, another thing, um, in Marty McFly's 2015 house, we see these big screen TVs, which are mounted on the walls, and they, they're used to perform video conference calls. Um, so in 1985, I remember my TV or my family's TV in 1985 was like a huge, big wooden, heavy box. It's like a big piece of furniture, but the ones in the film are much more similar to the TVs that we have today. They're flatter, slimmer, they're wider and bigger, and they're attached to walls. Um, also we have, we now have multiple TV channels and in, uh, back to the future Two, we see multiple TV channels as well. In fact, Marty goes into his house and he's confused by the TV that he sees in his future home because there are hundreds of channels and you can see them all playing on different boxes on the screen all at the same time, instead of having to flick through them one by one. Now this is a normal way today that people choose uh, the show that they want to watch. You can still flick through the channels, but most digital digital TVs will allow you to get an overview of all the channels, usually with a little preview screen of what's going on uh, or what's on that channel uh, at the time. Um, we see um, a mention of hands-free video games in Back to the Future 2, uh, video games in which you don't need to use your hands, hands-free video games. Um, 
1985, uh, Marty is an expert at the computer game in his local diner. It's a kind of Wild West shooting game, which is ironic considering he ends up in the Wild West at the, at the, in uh, episode three. Um, in 2015, he finds the same game. It's the same original, I think it's a Nintendo Wild West game. It's in the same uh, uh, cafe or diner. And it's, it's there in 2015 as some sort of retro novelty. And a couple of kids um, are, are there trying to play the game and they don't understand how you could actually have to use your hands to play this game. Because apparently in 2015, all kids use hands-free games and they think this one with a controller is a bit boring. And in fact, here we see a cameo by a young Elijah Wood. You know, the actor who plays Frodo in uh, the Lord of the Rings movies? There's a little cameo of a very young Elijah Wood in that scene. Um, Now, when I saw this before, the idea of hands-free games was so ridiculous that I just found the suggestion of it quite funny. But now it's pretty normal to have things like Xbox, Kinetic and other motion-sensitive games consoles. So, in fact, it's not so ridiculous after all. Um, fingerprint recognition. Several times we see fingerprints being used. I think in the diner, someone uses their fingerprint to buy something. Um, and also, um, fingerprints are used to access the, the McFly family home. Uh, Jennifer's fingerprint is used to get in the door. So they use fingerprints, um, instead of keys and locks. In the film, yeah, it's possible to make a payment by touching your finger on a screen. And we're pretty much there now. You can do that on your iPhone. You can buy things. Uh, You can buy things from the App Store by touching your thumb on the little uh, fingerprint reader that they have on the the iPhone. And um, we definitely have the technology to do that in shops now. Although that hasn't become commonplace yet. We're still using chip and pin or signing for, you know, credit card transactions. Um, but we we could have fingerprint um, purchases in shops. Uh, finger and thumbprints are also used to open doors in the film. And we do have thumbprint security systems now, but again, they're, they're not compl- commonplace and we haven't uh, replaced the usual keys and locks that we still have in our pockets. Um, so... Um, Virtual reality headsets. We see in uh, the film that Marty's children in the future spend quite a lot of time wearing virtual reality headsets. You know, these are the things, these, these are like masks that you put on which fill your vision with a screen, which can also be like an immersive video game experience. And yep, yeah, we've got them now too. Uh, you can put like, uh, you can buy certain uh, immersive masks that you put on and it gives you a full virtual reality game experience Um, also some characters in the film wear glasses that incorporate telephone and video call functions as well as some augmented vision by augmented vision i mean little uh, additions to the things you can see so it could be bits of text or it could be an arrow to point you in a certain direction maps and things like that augmented vision For example, in the film, Doc Brown wears a pair of glasses that provides him with extra information about things he's looking at. Um, These are things like little boxes and bits of text that fill his vision when he's looking at things and people. And this is basically like Google Glass, 
which is something that you can buy. It hasn't really taken off yet. It's not fully successful. But I'm sure that eventually we will get augmented vision in some way so that we don't have to keep staring down into our phone screens. And instead, we can just walk around and get our internet services right there in our vision. Um, perhaps this could be a projection projection onto a glass screen in front of our eyes, which is a bit like Google Glass or, or, or maybe some other kind of biotechnology in which our brain is connected directly to the internet. And we actually see like uh, images somehow from our optic nerves. Um, imagine that. Um, it's uh, It sounds a bit like the Matrix, in fact, which is a little bit scary. Um, what, what else? Ordering your food and drinks from computer screens. In the film... Uh, people order stuff in the diner by talking to digital versions of celebrities on TV monitors. Um, nowadays, many uh, restaurants use tabletop tablets to replace waiters. For example, in I remember in California, we went to a restaurant and we ordered our food by, by making our selections on iPads that were on the table. So that is possible now. Um, but, okay, you're not ordering from a digital version of Michael Jackson or Ronald Reagan, but almost. Um, voice commands, voice commands. In the film, you see Lorraine giving some commands to her microwave oven by talking to it. And now we can actually do this. We can com- make commands uh, to our phones just by saying, hey, Siri, uh, or whatever, and then attempting to perform basic commands by using your voice. So we, we have like voice control. You can call people. You can do basic functions on your phone by speaking to the phone. And I'm sure that extends to other appliances too. Um, what else? Um, self-tying laces. These are laces on shoes um, that uh, will tie themselves, so you don't need to do all that annoying business of tying your laces. Marty, in the film, wears a pair of Nike trainers that fit themselves to his feet automatically. Uh, apparently, Nike has developed something like this, and in fact, there are rumours that they'll release a limited edition Back to the Future range of trainers this year with this feature. I don't know if they've been released already, uh, and how much they cost, but uh, you may be able to buy uh, Nike trainers with self-fitting uh, laces um, this year. Would you like to buy some? I don't know where you can get them, uh, but you may be able to find them on the internet. Um, also, robotic petrol stations. I'm pretty sure that these exist in Japan. I think you can go in to some petrol stations in Japan and park the car and some kind of machine does the rest of the work and fills your car with with petrol. But they're not mainstream by any means. In the film, we see sort of like Star Wars type robots filling cars with petrol. Um, So, okay, those are some of the things that they did get right. Um, Here are some of the things they didn't get right. And... um, well, first of all, there's the general fashion. People don't dress in clothes that are exactly like that. Also, the, um, some of the characters seem to have implants that make them stronger, almost like robotic implants. In fact, um, Griff, the future version of Biff, seems to grow taller when he wants to. These seem to be implants, maybe implants in his feet or something. And he gets taller like that. I don't think we have them. Um, hoverboards, of course. No, we don't really have hoverboards like they are in the film. We do have some hoverboards. We have a kind of hoverboard now. Um, um, like the real hoverboards that we have today are possible, uh, but they require a special magnetic surface as well as the board. So um, they're based on magnets, I think. 
for example, the Hendo hoverboard, and there's a link to the Hendo hoverboard on the page for this episode. Um, it's a real hoverboard that's been developed, but it only hovers above a magnetic surface. You can't just take it anywhere. In the films, the hoverboards will fly on any surface at all, even on water, if you have some power to keep you to keep pushing you forwards, which is exactly what is so cool about the hoverboards. They'll go anywhere. But the Hendo hoverboard only works on top of the magnetic surface which it's been designed to, to work with, which does make it pretty limited. And I've seen some videos. I saw a video of Tony Hawk, the skateboarder, trying to use the hoverboard. It doesn't look very easy to use. It, it, I'm sure it's going to be useful for something, but it's, we're far from the hoverboards that we see in the film. There is another hoverboard that you can get these days or that has been invented, and that's the Lexus Slide Hoverboard, and that requires a magnetic skate park as well. But apparently it operates pretty well and, and a bit better than the Hendo one. Um, um, but basically, that's it. No no hoverboards. And in fact, um, it might be the case that hoverboards are impossible. Um, and, um, for example, astrophysicist Neil deGrasse Tyson who's who's like a, a well-known astrophysicist and a bit of an expert on this kind of thing, um, he said that uh, hoverboards are impossible. So there you go. Hoverboards are impossible, according to Neil deGrasse Tyson. Uh, that's a pity, isn't it? That's a, that is a great pity. Uh, never mind. Never mind. Um, what else? Flying cars? Well, okay, we don't have... We don't really have flying cars. I mean, you can make a car fly by driving it off a bridge, but um, that's not really going to be very useful. Uh, flying cars. We do we do have some cars that fly. Uh, for example, ones that have wings. They're basically like a combination between a, pl- a, f- uh, a, a car and a plane, but they, they have wings like a plane does, and they need roads for takeoff. So it's not the same, really, as the flying cars in the movie that hover up into the air and disappear into the distance. Um, so no, we don't have flying cars. And we don't. I think we don't have self-drying clothes. In the film, you see Marty get wet. He falls into water. And when he comes out, the, the, the his jacket goes... And it kind of turns itself dry. Um, so I don't think we have them yet. Uh, But we do have some awesome technology that resists water. You can have some sort of water-resistant stuff which you spray on your clothes and it keeps your clothes perfectly dry. And also we have some fabrics that dry really, really quickly. But we have nothing with built-in fans or, uh, you know, that dry your clothes from the inside. Or I don't think we have any clothes that speak to you, you know, that say, your jacket is now dry. I don't think we have that, which is a pity because um, I, I generally like it when inanimate objects talk to me in slightly weird, soulless robot voices. Um, except perhaps those tills at Tesco's that are so patronising, scary and disappointed in you, you know? Thank you for shopping at Tesco's. That's nice. And then, unexpected item in bagging area. Oh, God. Oh, God. I've I've talked about that before. Unexpected item in bagging area. I didn't expect you to put your bananas there, Mr. Thompson. We're very disappointed in you in, at Tesco's. That's why, unfortunately, you will be terminated. Have a good day. Um, so, no, we don't have self-drying clothes or clothes that talk to us. Not really. Um, we also can't use rubbish as fuel in the way that they can in Back to the Future 2. 
in the film, Doc Brown has invented a device, or he, he at least has discovered a device called Mr. Fusion, which converts raw rubbish, raw household rubbish, into energy to power the flux capacitor. And that's incredible because apparently it generates 1.21 gigawatts of energy, which is an imma- it's a massive amount of energy. It's something like two and a half uh, nuclear power stations worth of energy. Um, and um, so... Mr. Fusion apparently can create this energy from just um, household rubbish. Um, Now, we can recycle a lot of things nowadays, and also we can convert some rubbish into fuel. Like, for example, we can apparently we can turn waste cooking oil into biodiesel fuel, but we're far from being able to generate significant power by just using a few banana skins and a half-drunk can of beer. So, no, we we can't turn rubbish into uh, fuel. I'm afraid. Um, also, floating signs. You see in the film some signs, you know, to give information, like road signs, floating around, just floating in the air. Well, we're still using traditional signs, obviously, today, which are still attached to the ground. And I can't really imagine us adopting floating signs very soon because of the energy that would be needed to keep them in the air, probably with drones, you know. But who knows, maybe they'll be using drones to fly information around the skies at some point, and that will no doubt include advertising, which is not a very nice thought. Advertising already is invasive enough. I don't really want drones to be sweeping into my vision to try and make me look like to try and make me look at an advert. So I don't really want the idea of drones flying around with adverts on them trying to catch my attention. No thanks. We've got enough adverts out there already. Um, okay. One of my listeners asked me to try and explain how the time machine in the film works. Uh, someone said, "How how does the time machine work? How do you travel in time?" Well. Um, that's easier said than done, isn't it? Especially since I'm an English teacher, I'm not a quantum physicist. Um, also, it's just a movie, you know, it didn't really happen. But um, obviously, I think you know that. So, And you'd probably just like to know, you'd probably just like to hear me bang on about time machines and some of the science around how they work. All right. So let's look at the DeLorean. How does it actually work? Well, the um, the car really is just a something to carry the real-time machine, which is the flux capacitor, which is the heart of the invention. So let's probably, let's start with the flux capacitor. And I'm taking my information from the, uh, uh, from a website called Futurepedia, which is basically the Back to the Future wiki. Um, The uh, flux capacitor is not fully explained in the film, which is clever, really, because it means the film doesn't get too bogged down in lots of technical details. Uh, and of course, you know, here at Luke's English Podcast, we love to get bogged down in details. Um, so I will be talking about the flux capacitor. Um, but it's clever of the film not to go into too many details because it leaves it to the imagination. Um, and it leaves the film free to focus on the more dramatic human story. Um, but here are a few things about the flux capacitor. So it's situated inside the car, just near the driver's seat. It looks like a Y shape. It's kind of a Y shape with glowing and pulsating light running through it. And this is the thing that allows the DeLorean to travel through time. Um, Apparently, what it does is, somehow it briefly opens up a wormhole in space-time. So the, the, the... I don't know how this works, but the the flux capacitor is able to rip open a hole in the fabric of space-time, a wormhole, 
and then uh, the DeLorean actually travels through it. It drives through the hole um, through time. Okay, so it opens up a wormhole. The DeLorean then passes through the wormhole, achieving time travel. And then as soon as the, the DeLorean has gone through it, the wormhole closes. So that's basically how it works. Simple, isn't it, really? Um, so, you know, you input the date that you want to go to and the date that you've come from. You start the car. Uh, you, you get up to 88 and boom, you travel through time. Um, and uh, it's pretty dangerous, of course, because you'll be not only are you ripping an, a, a hole in the fabric of space time, but you're also traveling at 88 miles per hour wherever you arrive. And you might crash into something. Like, for example, in the film, Marty crashes into a barn and also arrives in the middle of a fight between some cowboys and Indians. So you never know quite what's going to be happening when you arrive, unless you've managed to plan it all in advance. Um, the flux capacitor uh, needs 1.21 gigawatts of power, which is a lot. That's equivalent to the output of about 2.5 nuclear power stations. In fact, Doc Brown... Pref- powers the flux capacitor in fact doc brown powers the flux capacitor using plutonium which is of course a very powerful radioactive fuel which apparently he stole from some libyan terrorists um so um that time machine is actually an extremely dangerous and unstable thing as it is carrying the power of several nuclear power stations on board. Um, Later, Doc Brown replaces the nuclear reactor with an invention from the future called Mr. Fusion, which I mentioned earlier, which converts household rubbish into fuel. And how that works, well, we don't know. It's from the future. I, I sometimes imagine that, actually, if they have that kind of technology in the future, then they'd probably have managed to make a time machine as well, and then the universe and all of history would be populated by people from the future in their time machines. But that's another paradox or problem that we will come to uh, a little bit later. Why 88? Why is 88 the number? I think probably the filmmakers picked 88 because it sounds quite cool, Um, and it's more dramatic to try and get the car all the way up to 88. But here is some stuff about this that I found on... Uh, Reddit, the website Reddit. Um, And it's pretty good, and I think it explains, it's a sort of speculation about why the DeLorean has to travel up to 88 miles an hour exactly. And this was uh, uh, submitted on Reddit uh, about a year ago by someone called Less Than Hero 42. And this is why the DeLorean had to travel to 88 miles per hour to travel through time. Okay, so here it is. So, provided the flux capacitor allowed time travel by generating a wormhole to to the programmed temporal destination, um, um, uh, what? That doesn't make sense. So, never mind. We don't need the word provided at the beginning of that sentence. If, uh, hold on. So, it's just this. The flux capacitor allowed time travel by generating a wormhole to the programmed temporal destination, but these wormholes were unstable and they only last for a little over a tenth of a second. Wormholes are unstable, okay? You can't keep it open for a long time. So it can only stay open for like a tenth of a second. Um, So if the wormhole stability was measured as lasting only 0.10717 seconds... Let's say that's the stability of the wormhole. It can only be stable for 0.10717 seconds. Then to move a car 
which is about 4.216 metres long, which is the length of a DeLorean, to move that car through the wormhole before it closes, you would need to be moving at about uh, 39.3395 metres per second, or 88 miles per hour. Okay, so it's so if you're moving too fast, then the vehicle would reach the wormhole before it fully opens, and the front part of the, ve- of the vehicle would be cut off and spaghettified, or it would be delivered to a different temporal location, or it would be eaten by space-time krakens, whatever they are, or the whole vehicle would simply vaporise from trying to coexist in space-time with an opening wormhole, who knows, basically, that the front of the vehicle, if it's not in the wormhole, would maybe be cut off or something. Also, you could miss the wormhole completely and forever be known as that guy who crashed the DeLorean into Twin Pines Mall right before being gunned down by a bunch of Libyan terrorists. So basically, the time that the wormhole can be open is very limited and you need to get the DeLorean up to the right speeds for it to pass through the wormhole cleanly and apparently that uh, speed is 88 miles per hour, all right? Um, So it's like walking through um, automatic doors. If you run full speed at the doors, they won't open fast enough and and you'll just hit the the door. Um, If you walk too slowly, the doors begin to close on you before you've passed through them, okay? So... These numbers are a bit general, and it's likely that Doc Brown gave himself some leeway on the timing because of human error and imprecise engineering. Um, But most likely, the flux capacitor is programmed not to activate until the car reaches the appropriate speed. So the flux capacitor probably programs in uh, it's programmed in to activate when the car reaches 88, and then the, the hole arrives, the car goes through, the hole closes, that's it. So, that sounds very reasonable, doesn't it? All you need to do is create a wormhole. No problem. Now, um, is time travel actually possible in the real world? So, never mind the movies. Let's talk about the real world for a second. Is it actually possible? Well, apparently, yes, it is. In fact, you know what? We've already done it. Of course, we're, we're all, in fact, travelling through time right now, of course, uh, we're always travelling forwards through time, uh, you know, at this speed um, as we go into the future. But in terms of moving through time at different speeds, like leaping into the future, for example, then yes, that is possible. And in fact, it's already been done. Yep. Now, this is a little bit com- complicated for me to explain, uh, but let's uh, let's let's go with it. Now, actually... Let me see. So how is it possible to move forward in the future? Well, apparently, if you move at a very high speed, then time actually slows down. All right? Relative, that's when time is relative to another object. I'll try and explain that with a, with a little anecdote. I think I may have mentioned this on the podcast before. Uh, well, I've, you know, I've done over 300 episodes. I've probably mentioned everything now. Um, so anyway... Um, how how is that possible? There was an experiment. I don't know when the experiment was done, and I don't know the names of the people who did it, but I know that there was an experiment in which two um, atomic clocks were set at exactly the same time. What's an atomic clock? It's basically a clock that's very, very sensitive and very, very reliable. It measures time in a very, very subtle and precise way, and they're extremely reliable. They don't lose time. They're, they're like totally reliable clocks, all right? So two atomic 
clocks were synchronised to start at exactly the same time. Then one of the atomic clocks was left on Earth and the other atomic clock was taken into a, 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 a plane and that plane travelled around the world at high speed. And then uh, they the plane landed and they brought the two atomic clocks together and the the atomic clock that had gone around the world in the in the aeroplane was showing a very slightly slower time than the other one wow uh, so that means what is that is that right that it was showing a slower time that the, the the clock that had gone around the world had leapt into its own future by a tiny amount um, and in fact the uh, it, for the, for the people on the ground, the plane had been gone for a slightly longer time than for the people in the plane. So time went a little bit faster uh, for the people on the ground. Okay. Now this is like in the movie Interstellar. Have you seen that? In in the movie Interstellar, basically, um, um, it's difficult to describe it. Basically, but uh, Matthew McConaughey uh, travels at a very high speed across the universe. And he leaves his family on Earth. Um, I hope this may be a spoiler for Interstellar, by the way, if you haven't seen it. I, I'm not going to spoil it too much. This is this is a basic principle that's not going to affect. It's, I don't think this is a spoiler, actually. Matthew McConaughey travels through uh, the universe at a high speed. And uh, because he's traveling at such high speed in the universe, um, time uh, changes relative to the time on Earth. So what he feels like is just um, a couple of years of travel actually on Earth is like decades. So he comes back to Earth and decades have passed. He looks pretty much the same, but his family, like his daughter, has, has become much, much older. Okay, so that's the same principle. Again, this is complicated for me to understand. I'm going to try and get someone else to explain it. Um, so you're going to hear the audio from a video... Um, uh, a BBC video which is called Is Time Travel Possible? The Science of Doctor Who. So this is related to Doctor Who. And in fact, this is a, um, a scientist called um, uh, Brian Cox, Professor Brian Cox, who is uh, a, a celebrated and, and famous and well-respected uh, scientist from the UK. And uh, here he is ex talking about um, uh, how time travel is possible. And I'm just going to cue the video up to the right point and then play the audio to you. I think he's talking about something about the speed of light and the way that time is relative to different objects in the galaxy and depending on how fast you go in relation to the speed of light, time can move at different speeds. It's really difficult to explain, but I'll, I'll let uh, Professor Brian Cox talk to you a little bit about it. Here we go. So, if we all agree on the speed of light, then it is obvious that it must take the light longer to tick for the moving clock than it does for the stationary clock. Moving clocks run slowly. This is true. Time really did pass at a different rate for Jim. It passed at a different rate for him than it did for you in the audience watching Jim move. There's no sleight of hand here. Jim really is. A time traveller. <laughs> Our time is personal to us. This is what Einstein had discovered. There's no such thing as absolute time. 
Now, why don't we notice this in everyday life? It's because the amount by which time slowed down for Jim was minuscule because the speed he was traveling was so small compared to the speed of light. But if we'd have sent Jim off in a rocket, would you like that? A rocket, just flying out into space. Let's say that we catapulted Jim off at 99.94% the speed of light for five years, according to his watch. Then we tell Jim to turn around and come back. It takes another five years to get back to the Earth. So for him, the journey would take 10 years. But for us, with our watches ticking faster than Jim's, 29 years would have passed. Jim would return in 2042, having aged only 10 years. It's a real effect, he'd be a time traveler. Time travel into the future is possible. Well, there you go. Time travel into the future is possible. And in fact, it's already been done, but very, only by very small uh, amounts. Okay, so there you go. We can go into the future by taking a rocket and flying it at great speed, just under the speed of light, uh, out into space and back again. Uh, it's just a bit impractical because obviously we don't have the technology or power to go that fast. All right, so that's one thing. That's really about going into the future, isn't it? So it seems that it's possible to go into the future relative to when, when you're dealing with time, you know, in a relative way. You know, that means basically you'd have to go away from the Earth and come back. And then the time is relative between the Earth and the time that you experienced on your journey. So that it has to be relative. Um, you can't just stay in one place and uh, unless you spin, I suppose, in a very high speed. But it seems that time and space are in. Uh, intrinsically linked and if you want to travel through time you also have to travel through space uh-huh but then wormholes all right let's talk about wormholes a little bit i say let's talk about wormholes i'll talk about wormholes and you can just try and understand what the what the dickens i'm talking about but anyway um now doctor who doctor who you, you, um i did an episode about doctor who and um, that was ages ago. But I think a lot of you probably are aware of Doctor Who. Remember the TARDIS from Doctor Who? It's the blue box that the Doctor uses to travel through time around the universe in the TV show Doctor Who. It's super cool. It looks like a blue police telephone box and it's much bigger on the inside than it is on the outside. Well, the cool thing about the TARDIS is that not only does it travel in time, it also travels in space. Uh, TARDIS means time and relative dimension in space. So it travels not only through time, but also through space. Okay. In previous episodes, I've mentioned this before, uh, the universe is moving all the time. The Earth is spinning on its axis. Uh, axis? The Earth is spinning on its axis. We're orbiting the sun. And even our sun and the rest of our galaxy in which we exist is orbiting the center of the universe. And in fact, that whole universe is said to be expanding all the time. So nothing is static. Nothing is in one place it, um, through time. As we move through time, we're also moving through space, expanding in the universe, spinning and so on. Uh, so nothing is static. In fact, all matter in the universe is racing through space pretty fast. And this suggests that there also uh, is no such thing as a static single point in the universe. Um, and I guess it means that if you travel in time, you'll, you'll end up in a different place. 
if you just travel in time, which is impossible. For example, even five minutes, if I travelled five minutes into the future or five minutes into the past, that would result in me being in a different spot completely relative to everything else in the universe. So I'd probably end up in the air over a different part of the earth or maybe embedded deep under the surface of the earth or maybe i would end up completely outside the earth's atmosphere Uh, and this is because the earth is spinning at hundreds of miles an hour not to mention the orbit of the earth around the sun and all the other movements so if i traveled forwards or backwards in time i would appear in a different location so you need a time machine that will also put you at the same place as you were before relative to everything else in the universe Um, so the time machine uh, would somehow uh, log your relative position in the universe in both time and space and take you there. It's not just a question of going straight back to the same place in time. You also have to move in space. And that's how the TARDIS from Doctor Who works. Um, I think Back to the Future doesn't really deal with this explicitly. It, uh, Doc Brown never really mentions anything about having to move in in space-time. Um so we just imagine, I think, that it's able to work like a TARDIS, uh, the DeLorean, um, travelling not just in time but also uh, to that location. For example, if I went back five minutes or if I went forwards five minutes, my TARDIS time machine would locate this chair in front of this laptop uh, in my Skypod here at Luke's English Podcast headquarters so that uh, it takes me to that position so that I don't just end up suffocating to death in space or getting burned up by the sun's rays or whatever else would happen to me if I just found myself suddenly floating outside our atmosphere. Um, Okay, so that's the fact that time and space are linked together and can't be separated. Okay, Uh, so I've just explained that. Um, I feel almost like a a physicist, but... um, not really, because although I've just apparently explained how a TARDIS works, I still have got no idea how how these things actually work. Obviously, it's not possible at the moment because we can't uh, we can't do that. We can't find a way of just moving through space time without you know without expending expending huge amounts of energy and and all that sort of thing. Anyway, let's talk about wormholes again. Um, yeah, let's talk about wormholes again. Again, I'm no expert here, but let's go. So, um, wormholes. This is another idea about or, or theory about time travel that could allow us to go forwards or backwards in time without having to travel a long distance. You know, like um, we mentioned before about traveling distance, going at high speed through space can actually uh, make time slow down for you relative to time on Earth. Uh, but that involves, you know, doing lots of travelling and it's really annoying. I mean, I thought that commuting to work every day on the train was enough. Apparently, uh, to do to time travel, you need to do a really long journey. Anyway, um, at least a really long journey or a really, really fast journey in a small place. I, I, I'm not sure. Does it mean that if you spun, if you spin round really quickly in the same place for... Uh, I don't know, like two years at something just under under light speed. Maybe then you could move into the future, but that'd be it's just, it's almost impossible to comprehend how how that how how does that how is that possible? How does it what does it look like when you watch someone? I mean, what does it look like? Imagine um, you've created like this time machine which basically spins um, things around in a loop 
incredibly quickly. You know, that's what generates that speed uh, through space. They're spinning around in a loop. Um, let's just say, theoretically, you could put something in uh, like a spinning loop, like loop-the-loop kind of uh, Ferris wheel kind of thing, and it would spin around at just under light speed. <laughs> um and so you'd put someone in it, they'd spin round just under light speed, and um, let's say a year later, they come out again, everyone else is going to be a little bit greyer, a little bit older, and they're going to be all fresh-faced and, and young. Well, they can't get younger, they'll just, I think they would um, probably age slightly slower than the rest of us. Yeah. Actually, I heard some interesting things about this idea, because um, apparently it's the way that we interact relative to gravity as well. So, okay... Here's, here's, here's an idea. Uh, if you stay on the sofa all day watching TV, you will get older than someone who actually moves around and goes to the gym and goes jogging. It's true. If you stay motionless, time will move more quickly uh, relative to everyone else. And if you get up and you walk around uh, your town or if you go jogging or something and then come back, you will be younger than the guy sitting on the sofa. That's that's a fact. It's weird, isn't it? It's a tiny, tiny amount, tiny amount younger, but you will be younger. Also, if you just stand up, um, because because um, I guess it's because the way that the Earth is spinning, you would go over a long, longer distance, or you'd be going faster if you're higher, or because of the way you interact with gravity. I think it's because you would take yourself further away from the centre of the Earth, and that would mean that you're actually travelling faster um you know and so even standing up can make you younger uh which is weird and it also means that your head ages slightly slower than your feet um <sighs> crazy isn't it isn't it crazy anyway let's talk about wormholes um so this is another idea or theory about time travel that could allow us to go forwards or backwards in time and this is a time this is a theory that's brought up in in films and things quite a lot, like Star Trek and um, what else? Uh, Interstellar. They they deal with wormholes, black holes, and things. So, okay, let's say time and space are connected, and you can't separate them. There, it's like an axis or a, or a sheet of paper, and let's call it space time. So that's it's not just time and not just space, but the two of them are inextricably linked together, and we call it space time. Um, Let's say you want to go from point A to point B. So space we've decided space-time is a is a piece of paper, let's say, okay? And this is the analogy that you always see in movies and, and stuff like that. Space-time is a, a piece of paper, and you, you draw a cross on one end of the paper, uh, and then you draw another cross at the other end. So you've got a cross at the bottom and a cross at the top. Obviously, they're quite far away from each other, especially when we consider the uh, massive distances that we're dealing with in, in space-time here. Um, so how do you travel from point A to point B without having to go all the way across the piece of paper, which in terms of the universe is a very long distance uh, and takes a long time and a long, long, lot of effort? Well, apparently what, all you need to do is just fold the paper in half and push a hole between the two points. Or folding the paper in half brings those two points together. And so it's like a shortcut. And... Apparently, this is what wormholes can do. They, they're actually able to uh, uh, fold the universe in half. Um, so, 
I don't get it, <clears throat> to be honest. I don't get it. I, how, how is it possible to fold the universe in half? I mean, folding paper in half is easy. I mean, I just did it. You, you heard me do it, right? But um, how on earth do you fold the universe in half? Uh, and what, what confuses and, and annoys me about this kind of thing is when I'm watching some, like, documentary about time travel and there's some physicist going, well... It, the paper, the paper represents space-time and you got the uh, point A and then point B and uh, all you need to do is just fold the universe in half and you can make a shortcut between the two points and that's how you achieve uh, time travel through a wormhole. All you need to do is fold the universe in half? Did you just say that? Um, I guess this is the reason why we can't do it because, in fact, in order to fold the universe in half, I guess it's not the physical universe that we see but there's another a higher sort of dimension that you would be folding it's almost too hard for my brain to comprehend there's another dimension you see a fourth dimension of space time and folding the universe in half in in that dimension it, it apparently wouldn't cause everything to get squashed together and everyone to you know people to fall out of their chairs and people to cut themselves shaving and um uh, women to ladder their tights unexpected, unexpectedly and cars to fall off the surface of the earth and basically all of humanity to be squashed. Um, no, um, apparently not. Um, but that's, that's it. Apparently wormholes can do that. They can allow you to go from one point in the universe to another and that includes travelling from one point in time to another. And if we could create a wormhole in space-time and find a way to control when it opens and when it closes, then we could possibly bend the universe like paper and take a shortcut. But again, we don't have the technology or the access to enough energy to do that. Um, to create a wormhole, to open up a rift in space-time, I would imagine would involve ridiculous kinds of technology that we've got no idea how to create at this point and massive amounts of energy i'm sure it would take a lot more than 1.21 uh, gigawatts uh, or 1.21 gigawatts as he says uh, to do it okay so all of that may be utterly confusing i know but basically the flux capacitor creates a temporary wormhole in space and then the and and it's open for uh, the, the the period of time it, it it can be opened securely, is limited, and so the DeLorean has to be going at 88 miles an hour in order to get through the wormhole before it closes. And then, bam, that, bang, that's time travel, which is quite satisfying. That's quite good enough. That's good enough for me. Um, all right, so um, I'm, just, I'm now waiting for someone to invent one, okay? All you need to do is just fold the universe in half. No problem. Um, now, there are some kind of paradoxes, time paradoxes and temporal anomalies uh, in the Back to the Future uh, films, uh, lots of people have noted that travelling in time would bring about lots of problems, paradoxes, things like that. Like, for example, the idea that if you went to the past and prevented your parents from meeting, you would then cease to exist. But then if you hadn't been born, then you would never have gone back in time in the first place and you wouldn't have prevented your birth so that you would exist. So, do you exist or not? Is it possible that you would simultaneously exist and not exist at, at the same time? I imagine that might be quite painful. I mean, it's just giving me, it's giving me a headache just thinking about it, to be honest with you. So, did you catch that? 
Did you catch that? Uh, so let's say I go back in time and I meet my mum and dad and something happens. I, let's not go into the details about, for example, how my mum falls in love with me. That's too weird. But just something happens and I, I prevent my own birth, okay, by going back in time. And at that moment, surely, because I've prevented my own birth, I'm not able to exist to come back in time in the first place. And so poof, I would disappear from existence. But because I disappeared from existence, I wouldn't be able to prevent, you know, I wouldn't be able to prevent my my birth. And so I would be born and then I would go back in time. It's a time loop. It's a feedback loop, isn't it? Where there's no end in that little loop. What would that What would that do to the universe? Is it possible that another parallel universe would, could carry on? Or would all of time suddenly just be stuck in this loop where just because one guy went back in into the past... I don't know. I've heard theories that that, uh, travelling back in time is impossible. We can travel forwards in time at different speeds, just like... um just like uh, that experiment with the spaceship going out at a high speed, and uh, or, or you walking, running around the block, you get you, time passes slower than if you just sit on the sofa like a couch potato. Um, then, uh, yeah, we can move forwards in time at different speeds, and of course, we all, we are all moving forwards in time right now. Uh, but can you move back in time? It seems that that's not possible. Um, so. That's just one of the temporal anomalies that is brought up by Back to the Future. In fact, there are a number of problems that people have noticed, you know, like the idea that if he's done this, then he wouldn't have been able to do that and things like that. Uh, but in fact, there are um, there there are lots of problems like that, uh, and the film doesn't really deal with them, focusing instead on just telling a fun story. And thank goodness for that, because I think if the film got caught up in all of the complexities of... Uh, uh, time travel paradoxes then i think that um i think that would sort of ruin the 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 simple enjoyment of the film and in fact i've chosen not to go into these paradoxes here for several reasons one of them is that they're just too complicated to explain and i don't really understand them the other thing is that i think they miss the point really if you spend all of your time just picking apart the uh the the logic of physics in the film then you're not going to enjoy the film anymore. So this is just a fun movie which plays with ideas of time travel. And in the end, it's not really about the the, the practicalities of time travel. It's really about friendship. It's about love. It's about choosing your own destiny and trying to do the right thing. It's not about solving complex logical problems about time travel. However, if you are interested in these time travel paradoxes then check out some links on my website and i've i've put uh, a link in particular to um uh, an interesting page that explains in some detail um the temporal anomalies in time travel movies specifically back to the future and i think this is a website that was that is written by someone who really knows what they're talking about i mean i could i could um I could begin explaining one of the um, problems with Back to the Future 1, but it's going to be too complicated. Let me, let me read some of the stuff on this website. And if you, if you like this kind of thing, you can visit the website and you can read more. But I'll give you a taste of it now. Okay, So this is from mjyoung.net. Um, and um, let's see. Let me just check out who, who this actually is. Um, okay, let me see. And, and, and so, uh, okay, the... Problems in Time is is the um, name of the website. And uh, 
well, I, I guess NJ Young is a is a MJ Young is a is a someone who knows about this kind of thing, a scientist. So uh, here we have um, uh, Back to the Future. So the beginning in the original Back to the Future film, we see very clearly the complications of altering a timeline. As Marty McFly explores the world of 1955, he's confronted with the fact that the history he learned uh, of the events of his parents' life is changing before his eyes, and his own experience is in jeopardy. He has interfered with the meeting of his parents and must correct the situation before it's too late, or he will cease to exist. This is very valuable to us because right from the beginning, we can see that two distinct timelines we can see two distinct timelines. The original AB timeline in which George McFly gets hit by the car, marries the daughter of the man who hit him and lives the rest of his life as something of a nerd and a loser. And then the altered timeline in which Marty has prevented that and is trying to correct it. It appears at first glance that we have an end jump, an original timeline which ends at the point at which Marty returns to the past and an altered timeline which continues in the f- into the future before his fu- before his uh, which continues into the future beyond his return in- to the future huh however this is not the case and neither this movie nor any of the sequels recognizes this we have not got an end jump but either an infinity loop an infinity loop or a sawtooth snap um let me explain this Okay, then. All right, let's have a little bit more. In our AB timeline, that's the original one, uh, shortly after point A, George McFly meets Lorraine through the aforementioned accident, marries her, and gets a job working for the bully who has terrorised him all his life, Biff. They have three children, the third of which takes an interest in music and so connects with Doc, who provides him with access to technological equipment he might not otherwise have had. As a guitarist myself, I'm quite aware that amplifiers, effects boxes, mixers, microphones and other equipment all cost a great deal of money. Being able to repair or even build some of these things for your own use is a bonus. And Doc has the skills to do so. Where's he going with this? Marty would find his friendship with Doc useful in this way and Doc would enjoy having the lad around, teach him bits about the equipment and use his help in some of his experiments. This is the relationship we see at the beginning of the movie. Eventually, at point B, just after Doc is shot and probably killed, Marty ends this timeline completely by returning to 1955, creating point C. Ah, okay. All right, I think I understand that. Now... Point C, as you will recall from our study of the Terminator, that sounds good, doesn't it? A study of the Terminator. Maybe I'll do an episode about the Terminator next time. Uh, Point C, as you will recall from our study of the Terminator, is the exact same moment in history as point A. Um, uh, Okay, because point A is that time in 1955, and Marty, for point C, is when he's gone back to 1955, so point C and point A, same time. Okay, good. But it's now different, because Martin McFly is there, and he uh, had, had he made no other changes in time, his presence alone would be enough to make this a different timeline. Ah, so this is what I was talking about with big changes and small changes, I think, that... The film seems to think that only big changes can affect the timeline. But in fact, surely any little change could affect the timeline, like just the fact that Marty's there. Even though um, 
he doesn't do any even if he doesn't do anything just being there would mean it was different right it would be a different timeline okay so and in this different timeline marty prevents the initial meeting of his parents and aided by doc recognizes that his existence is threatened mhm um i will interrupt this retelling to make my minor complaints uh okay he talks about uh stuff like the photograph and stuff right well let's move on um um, okay let us suppose that marty is unable to repair the damage he has done let us further suppose that no one else intervenes to repair this damage meaning let's say he fails to get his parents to to marry each other um you know, it would be possible that somehow George and Lorraine would still meet and marry, perhaps after high school, under other circumstances, and Marty would still be born. As unlikely as it seems, it is important to remember that Marty does not have to be the one to fix the timeline. Could be someone else. Something else could happen, bringing them back together, just as long as the timeline is repaired. Now, George doesn't marry Lorraine, though, let's imagine George doesn't marry Lorraine, and Marty's not born. And since Marty is not born, he doesn't return in Doc's uh, time machine, and therefore he doesn't interfere in the meeting of his parents, and therefore he he is, and therefore he he is born, and therefore he does. These two alternate histories would repeat in perpetuity. Perpetuity. That's what I said before about the time loop. Okay, I'm quite clever. Um. Yeah, so he he would constantly be going back and and having to repair his past, and it would be a time loop. I guess that's what uh, he means by an infinity loop. It would just be keep keep going around and around and around. However, that is not what happened in the film. Marty did arrange for his parents to get together, albeit not quite as he had planned, and the incidental result was that all of the future was changed. We get a look at that altered history at the end of the movie. George McFly is a successful sci-fi author, science fiction author, undoubtedly encouraged by his son years before, and the family is much more upscale, much richer. Biff is not George's boss, but now is an auto mechanic who is grateful for the opportunity to clean George's car for a little extra cash. It's a fortunate point that no drastic changes occurred. The family did not buy a different house, but made this one nicer. They had the same three children. Jennifer was still his girlfriend, and he was even planning the same weekend in the mountains, but the changes are major and Marty's life was very different. And this is why it's not an end jump. Let's look at the let's look at the D end of his timeline. I'm not sure what an end jump is, but let's just keep going, shall we? This is actually quite interesting. Um, so final resolutions. Marty McFly grew up a different person. Not drastically different, but slightly different. His family now has money. He doesn't necessarily need Doc to help him uh, put equipment together. However, in his in this timeline, Doc knows Marty will go back into the past. And so Doc has an interest in preserving the timeline. Okay, so Doc would know. 1955 Doc sent Marty back. Um, and so Doc is going to know in 1985 that he sends Marty back. Um, and so Doc is would like to make sure that this timeline is preserved. Because remember, he's the one who best understands the temporal problems given the 30 years Uh, Given those 30 years, he would have worked out the necessity of Marty McFly returning to the past, interfering with his parents' meeting and bringing them back together, without which we are caught in a different infinity loop 
as those events would keep happening and unhappening with each cycle. Okay, okay, it's all right, it's okay. Uh, Thus, Doc would cultivate the relationship with Marty, hiding the truth about the past from him so that Marty would return. Okay, Doc has also read Marty's note and recognised that in order for him to save his own life, one, he must take some steps to prevent the Libyans from killing him, and two, Marty must believe that he was shot. The bulletproof vest is the best answer. Marty, the more affluent Marty of the CD timeline, sees Doc getting shot and escapes into the past, not knowing that Doc was wearing the vest. Still concerned for his friend's life, Marty still writes the note, so Doc is still saved. <sighs> okay. I forgot to talk about the Doc Brown being shot by terrorists in the previous episode. Yeah, it turns out that uh, Doc Brown read the note that Marty gave him. He sellotaped it back together and he learned that he, need to, he needed to wear a bulletproof vest. So when he gets shot by the Libyans, he's not dead. Bulletproof vest. Okay, so are you getting this? That Doc would need to make sure that Marty was sent back in time so that he would know in the timeline to wear the bulletproof vest. Otherwise, Doc would be just erased from existence as well. Hmm. But the Marty who returns from point D, this is the rich Marty who Doc has persuaded to go back into the past. Okay, the Marty who returns from point D reaches point E, not point C and not point A. Because this is the third this is the second time he's gone back into the past. Um, his information is completely different. In this history, George's friend Marty was trying to get George together with Lorraine and Biff got in the middle, so George punched Biff, impressing everyone, especially Lorraine, who danced with him, kissed him and married him, living a very different happily ever after than the one in the AB timeline. This Marty, the one born and raised in the in the CD timeline, the uh, rich and successful timeline, he knows nothing of George being hit by a car, which is what happened in the AB timeline. He and Doc have a lot more extrapolation to do in order to realise that Marty is the Marty for whom he is named, the friend whose influence helped being helped bring them together the friend who encountered george to share his stories and become an author and then disappeared after the enchantment under the sea school dance never to be seen again and so the ef timeline is in some ways different from the cd timeline which we saw we have a sawtooth snap history repeats itself until either it falls into an infinity loop or advances to an end jump in which Marty's next return to the past will repeat the previous one in detail. Oh my goodness. You see what I mean? You see what I mean? The the deeper you go, the more and more complicated it becomes. Um, But there's just a couple of other paragraphs of this text for me to read, and I just want to finish it, and then uh, that'll be the end of it. I just want to finish it, and then that'll be the end of it. Um, Whoever wrote this... um, Whoever wrote this has got a very particular set of skills. I don't know who you are, MJ Young. I don't know what you want. I don't know why you wrote this text about Back to the Future, but I will read it. I will get to the end of it. Um, Okay, so clarifying this, if Marty... uh, Do you get this? A-B timeline, uh, original timeline, George, um, George McFly grows up to be a bit uncool, but he's married to Lorraine, unhappy family. Marty, uh, Marty accidentally goes back to uh, 1955. Point C is created and he changes things and then uh, the successful family life is created and that's timeline CD. But Doc Brown 
in Timeline CD, Doc Brown, Brown knows that Marty still has to go back into the past in order to make sure that Timeline CD even happens and that Doc Brown uh, wears the bulletproof vest and doesn't get shot by Lib- Libyan terrorists. So, so Doc Brown manages to get Marty to go back in time again and we get EF Timeline. So Marty on this EF timeline, let's let's say Marty on this EF timeline fails to bring his parents together uh, because he doesn't understand that there's another Marty there. And then at F, he no longer exists. And we return to the AB timeline. Okay, forever trapped in an extended loop. So we go A, B, C, D, E, F, A, B. If he fails to interfere with his parents' original meeting, then at F, we've restored most of the circumstances which existed at B, the end of the first timeline, and the other Marty will have to make the time trip to set the CD timeline. If he succeeds in bringing about the same results as the CD timeline, then history continues as at the end of the movie, except, of course, that the Marty who wakes up in the in the rich McFly home is not at all surprised because things are as they were when he left. <sighs> However, one more minor complaint with this movie, the Marty McFly whom we see at the end of this film doesn't exist. Really? Although he returned before he left, creating a minor end jump. I don't understand what an end jump is, but it doesn't matter. Uh, Although he returned before he left, at the moment that his other self leaves for the past, that timeline is erased. The only future which exists is the one at the end of the EF timeline. Remember, for the Marty McFly who is seen leaving by the other Marty McFly who's just returned that more affluent existence, that altered history we just watched, is his. He's not the same Marty McFly. And when he returns, he will reach point F, the end of the timeline he's on his way to create. Uh-huh. <laughs> I'm confused. That timeline will be different, but it's possible that the end will be much the same without the surprised Marty. Okay, I'm lost now. Doc will have his bulletproof vest, okay, a gamble, as he didn't know that they would not shoot him in the head or use armour-piercing bullets, fine. And so he will be alive if somewhat bruised. Um, Marty's family might be the affluent version, and since it might be so, and the story continues that it is so, it's reasonable to conclude that on the last timeline of the sawtooth snap, that's A, B, C, D, E, F, whether it is E, F, or even Y, Z, time continues into the affluent future. So Back to the Future, in its first part, allows the future to continue. Huh? Okay. And this website has got a page like that for... Um, Star Trek uh, sorry this this website's got a page like that for Back to the Future the one I just read it does another one for Back to the Future 2 which is much longer um, and another one for Back to the Future 3 as well because apparently that's full of um, similar uh, time anomalies and, and paradoxes and the website's got similar comments on Terminator Star Trek 12 Monkeys Flight of the Navigator Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure Planet of the Apes the Time Machine, Minority Report, Donnie Darko, Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban, um, who, what else? Butterfly Effect, um, Hot Tub Time Machine, um, Source Code, uh, Black Adder, um, 
what else? The Watchmen, Men in Black 3, um, Looper, and Time Cop, and X-Men Days of Future Past, and lots and lots of other films that deal with uh, time travel in movies. Okay, so ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much for listening to this, uh, no doubt, complicated and mind-melting episode of Luke's English Podcast. I've learned a few things, definitely. I learned a few things about time travel. Um, I'm certainly not going to sit around on my bum doing nothing um, again. I don't think so. It just shows that if you get up off your off your bum and move around a bit, it's good for you because you'll be a bit younger than everyone else, or certainly a bit younger than you would be if you just stayed uh, sitting on the, on, on the sofa. But sitting on the sofa is nice though, isn't it? Is it worth it? Is it worth running around the block just to get like 0.00000001% younger? Um, maybe. I'll, I'll leave that one up to you. As ever, leave your comments on the page for this episode. Thank you very much for listening to this rather complicated uh, episode. Uh, I'll be back in your headphones or on your, in your speakers uh, at some point soon. But for now, it's just time to say goodbye. Bye, 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 bye. Thanks again for listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. If you enjoyed this episode of Luke's English Podcast, consider signing up for Luke's English Podcast Premium. You'll get regular premium episodes with stories, vocabulary, grammar and pronunciation teaching from me and the usual moments of humour and fun. Plus, with your subscription, you will be directly supporting my work and making this whole podcast project possible. For more information about Luke's English Podcast Premium, go to teacherluke.co.uk slash premium info.